Hey guys, how we feeling? Good, sweet. My name is Stephen Rice. I am uh, the SALT director here at SALT Church. That is our college ministry uh, here that meets on Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Any college students in the house? Yeah. Hey, what's up? How are we doing? Glad you're here. Uh, if you didn't know, we meet here on Thursday nights too. It's pretty packed, it's pretty hot, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you're in the community side, not a college student, a part of SALT Church, we love what God is doing in our college ministry, and we would love for you to, like, see that. We would love for you, actually, to come hang out with us. The only problem is we don't have any space in here on Thursday nights, and it's a little too sweaty. I don't think you'd like it. But what's happening, not this Thursday, but the following Thursday, February 2nd, is just for one night, we're going to have Salt Company, our college ministry, in the university auditorium. And we would love to invite, so if you're a college student and you're, like, just hearing this, like, Hey, come out to the university auditorium in two weeks. You can come here this Thursday night. But then invite a friend and come out uh, to the UA on Thursday night, February 2nd. Come, and we would love, if you're a community member, come sit in the balcony and worship with us. It starts at 8 p.m. And so we'd love for you to see what God is doing in our college ministry and, and just come worship with us. It'd be really fun. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this morning, here's what I want us to see. I want us to see the dangers of living with a skewed vision. And I want us to see our life, our world, our relationships through the lens of the gospel. I want us to see our life through the lens of the light of Christ. I've had a couple jobs uh, before I was the college pastor, college director here at Salt Company. When I was in high school, my first job was renting bikes on the beach in Clearwater Beach. You know those like goofy looking tourist bikes? It was your boy. I was renting those out to tourists. And I did that for a little bit. After that, I got a better paying job that was working in a warehouse that was just shipping out uh, fitness training gear. And then I went off to college and I got a job that paid no money. I was working on the football team at Sanford University uh, as an assistant to the coach. And I found out really quickly, I, I don't want to be a coach. This is terrible. This is hard. This is, man, this is not for me. If you're a coach in here, man, you guys are killing it. Keep going. And I felt like God was like starting to like change my heart a little bit of what I wanted. And I thought maybe God was calling me into ministry. And so I changed my major and started studying pastoral ministry. And I started getting these random gigs preaching through these small churches in Alabama. And I would just go to these old country churches and I would preach the Bible. And I Man, I felt like, oh, maybe my next step is ministry. And it was that next summer where I got probably the hardest job I've ever had. Have you ever seen those guys who walk into lions' cages and feed them? Yeah, I was a middle school pastor. <laughs> and that's not as cool, but way more dangerous. Middle schoolers are crazy. And one of my jobs as the middle school pastor was to get my CDL license so I could drive them around to water parks and lock-ins and all of this thing. And so I began to study for this CDL license this summer. And I was like, man, studying the parts of a bus and how it works and the tire pressure. And I had to memorize this and taking videos of bus parts. And then I had to go in and take a written test. And then I would have to do a driving test. And then at the end of all of this, at the DMV, I remember sitting there at the DMV, you have to take an eye exam. And I walk up, and you put your eye on this little thing, and I say, can you read these lines? So can you do your first, first eye on the right eye? I said, yeah, for sure. Put my right eye on the thing, 
A-W-X-Q-Z-T-W, crushed it, 100%, okay? She's like, all right, great job, 100%, I know. She's like, all right, now read in your left eye. I'm like, great. Put my left on, on there. I said, all right, you can put it up. She's like, it is up. <laughs> and I thought to myself, oh, I just have something in my eyes. So I like rub my eyes like I thought it was just blurry. Put it right back. Just blur. Can't see anything. And I, I have like two choices right now. I can tell her that my vision is blurry and she'll reject me for this CDL license. Or I can try to guess a random assortment of nine letters <laughs> in all of the alphabet and try and get it right. Do you know what the odds of getting that right are? I do. It's not good. <laughs> but that didn't stop me from trying. And so I, I went for it. Cube four, seven, eight, nine. Like I just started throwing out numbers and it was like, we kind of just look at each other and I'm like, so we good to go? She's like, no, you, you can't see. Like, I can't give you your license, and I failed this CDL license. And, and why? What was my problem? I can't see. I had a skewed vision, and I didn't even know it. And that was a problem because it could harm not just me, but the people that were around me and my community and these 2,500, I don't know how many middle schoolers they were just throwing Mountain Dew cans across a bus. Can you imagine me driving in that? No. And the crazy part was this. I had no idea. Like up until that point where I compared my wrong vision to right vision, I just thought the way that I saw the world was correct. I got used to seeing the world through my eyes. But my problem was my eyes needed correcting. My vision was skewed. What I was seeing was not correct. What did I need? I needed glasses, these, that I don't wear anymore because I hate glasses, and I'd rather be blind than wear glasses. But for the point of the illustration, I brought my glasses. I needed glasses to be able to drive a bus. I needed correct vision, right vision. Here's my question. Is it possible the way that you're living currently, the way that you see life, the way that you see the world, the way that you see your relationships, the way that you see drinking or partying, your views on morality or relationships or religion, is it possible the way that you naturally think about those things that you think is right and clear and that it's good for your flourishing, is it possible that when you put it in comparison to how God views it, that you've been seeing it all wrong? Is it possible that your vision is skewed? And this is the problem at Corinth that we're going to find out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is what we've seen all throughout the book of Corinthians, if you've been with us. They had a way of thinking about the world that they just assumed was right. They thought was God-honoring. And like the way that they were living for Christ in Corinth was correct. The way that they were in relationships, the way that they were treating each other, the way that they would eat food that was sacrificed to idols or not eat food that was sacrificed to idols. They thought this way of living was correct. And Paul comes in and shows them that they need glasses, that they need to see their problems through the lens of the gospel. And that is his solution for every single problem. And that is the solution to every single problem you will face. 
is we must see our world through the lens of Jesus, through the lens of the gospel and what God has done for us. And specifically, setting up this context for us, specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, really chapters 8 through 11, but we're looking at chapter 10, have all been about the problem of food sacrifice to idols. Should they eat Krishna lunch on campus? This is what they were wrestling with. Hey, we're Christians now, and they're sacrificing their food to their gods. Should we eat it? And there are two groups that we're going to see in this text that I'm about to read that saw it differently. Both of their visions are skewed. One group we'll see is looking through their lens that is almost hyper-religious, and they were wrong. And another group that was living what I'll call recklessly. It doesn't matter. It's just, just food sacrifice to idols, and they're wrong. And Paul is going to hold up the lens of the gospel and show us how to see rightly about this problem. So let's go ahead and read verse 14. We're going to read down through 22. And I pray that this will give us a vision for how we live our life day to day through the lens of the gospel. Verse 14, here we go. So then, my dear friends, I'm going to read a couple verses here, so hang with me. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. I'm speaking to you as sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I'm saying. The cup of blessing that we bless is it not a sharing in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a sharing in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one body, since all of us share the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Don't those who eat the sacrifice participate in the altar? What am I saying then? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. But I do say... What they sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot share in the Lord's table and the table of demons. Or are we provoking the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Okay. The first group that I think he's addressing here is what I'll call the, the skewed vision of living recklessly. The first people that he's addressing is the skewed vision of living recklessly. It's a group that says, through their lens, eating food that has been sacrificed to idols is fine and we're okay with it. And Paul wants to address them and to tell them while they're wrong. And he uses an argument from the very practice of communion, the Lord's cup, as we see this. This is his argument. Did you follow along? It's talking about bread and cups and wine and what it represents and that we share this in unity. What is he talking about to make this argument? Here's, here's what I think Paul is doing here. Paul is saying, look at how you Christians are united together and in Christ by sharing the cup and the bread of Christ. The cup and the bread of Christ. This is kind of what we reference in communion. You guys know that we take communion here once a month. We come up in the front of the stage in the back and we've got bread and we've got juice. Now here's what's true about that. It is a physical representation for us to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. You guys know this? This is 
physical representation, tangible, for us to symbolize what Christ has done on our behalf, that his body was broken. He was hung on a cross. His blood was spilled. Why? For you. So that you might have forgiveness of sins, that you might be reconciled back to God, that you might be bought back from sin and bought to God. It's what Christ has done on our behalf, and we remember that. That is our very basis of our salvation. It's what Christ has done for us. It's how we're saved. So we remember this. And here's his line of thought. Follow this. This is really close. If that act that is just physical, it's not magical. If I spill the bread on the ground, it's not going to like sizzle or something. Okay? It's a physical act. But what he's saying is it's a physical act that's a little bit more. A physical act that actually has spiritual origins. Like you are partaking in something and through it, you are remembering your unity with God because of the gospel and your unity with each other. It's physical, but it's more than that. And he makes that argument to then say, now think about when you eat food that's sacrificed to idols. So let's answer the question. Should you eat Krishna lunch? If that food in Hinduism beforehand they bless it to their gods, should we eat that food? Well, according to Paul, it's like, uh, maybe not. And that starts us going down the, the track of like, man, what do we need to avoid? Krishna lunch? Halloween candy? Harry Potter books? Here's what I think Paul is getting at, because I think it's something a little bit different than just eating Krishna lunch, eating Halloween candy, and avoiding Harry Potter books. I think he's getting at something a lot deeper, something at our heart. Because the crowd that he's talking to here, he's afraid that their close association with foods that's being sacrificed to idols is not so much about what they're eating, it's about how they're living. That they have become so comfortable with the festivals and the parties and the feasts that are going on in Corinth right now, that it's not just like what they're eating, it's how their heart is starting to believe. And he's worried that they might stop looking like Christians and begin to look more like Corinthians. And we might think like, man, this is, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's, it's fine. Like, it's just food. And, and Paul even says for himself, look again. He's saying, what then am I saying? That food sacrificed to idols is anything? Or that an idol is anything? No. He's saying the problem isn't like that there is some supernatural power that you're gonna eat and be tainted and you're gonna ingest a demon. And then you're gonna have to like figure out how to get that out. That's not really what Paul's worried about here. It's not just like eating a piece of meat that's been sacrificed to an idol. He's much more worried about your proximity and closeness to a culture that doesn't love Jesus. It's not a piece of meat. It's your proximity. See, this group was just like, hey, it's fine. Food sacrifice to idols, not that big of a deal. We'll go to the parties. We'll go to the festivals. And all these people who are worshiping to idols, like we know that idols are really nothing, so we don't really care. What Paul is saying is, yes, but there is something more spiritual going on that you need to be careful of. 
It's not about really eating Krishna lunch. It's more about your heart becoming more like the culture of Corinth. And so he's calling out to them the dangers of living what I'll call recklessly. And they believe this. It's fine. Doesn't matter what I eat. Doesn't matter what parties I go to. Doesn't matter what bars I'm in. As long as I'm not sinning, and it's not a sin, right? Then it's okay. And Paul just flips that on their head. Look at how he, look at how he, he combats them with this and kind of changes their perspective. Verse 23 says this. Because they would say, it's not, it's not sin. It's not leading me to sin. It's, not, it's just an idol. Verse 23. Everything is permissible. This is their quote that he's quoting back to them. Okay? Everything is permissible. But not everything is beneficial. Says it again. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. So maybe the question that we throw out, is X, Y, Z a sin, is the wrong question. Maybe it's more about, is it beneficial? What's it leading us to love? And here's the truth, if I could just encourage you how Paul is encouraging you. As you are in close proximity to the culture around you, which you should, notice how he never tells the Corinthian church to leave Corinth. He isn't like, hey, flee from idolatry, head over to Jerusalem. No, listen, we're called to be salt and light on this campus, but there is a warning here from Paul that there's a danger to living just recklessly, and he wants to change your vision. He says, flee from idolatry. Because he knows what idolatry leads to. He knows what they worship is not what you worship. And let me just remind you really quick, some of your friends that don't follow Jesus, I just, I want you to be around them. I want you to be in their life. But just know this, they don't love what you love. And that's okay. But just know this, as you are around them and in your proximity with them, and as you're around them, worshiping the thing that they love at the parties, at the scenes, what they buy, their success, their careers, they're worshiping their idol that is not God. And I just want, listen, I'm not telling you to flee from that. Paul is. Okay? So before you get mad at me and be like, oh, you're legalist, like burn the Halloween candy, oh, no, no. It's not me, it's Paul. He's saying, run. Don't get close to it. Take off the other direction. I just want you to see the danger of allowing your heart to be so comfortable in scenes that are passionately worshiping the thing that you aren't worshiping. Because your friends who don't love Jesus means they won't lead you towards Jesus. They'll lead you to the thing that they love. And you'll find as you are following your friends to the places that they love, it does not lead to life, not lead to flourishing. Paul is telling these people who are just so okay with eating food to idols and going to these festivals, he's saying, flee from that. I'm not saying idols or anything. I'm more worried about your union. In the same way that our hearts are united with Christ and each other, your hearts will become united with the things that people worship. Okay. That is, one, that is one group that Paul's talking to. But then he starts talking to another group that we're going to see here. He addresses the skewed vision of living just recklessly. But then he talks about another group. 
a different group of people that are living with a skewed vision of living religiously. Look at verse, uh, we'll pick up in verse 24 and then go through 25. It says this, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And now we see kind of a different group that he's addressing because it's going to sound like he's going to contradict himself. Verse 25, look what I'm saying. Eat everything that's sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and wants, and you want to go, eat everything that's set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Okay, so what can you eat? Anything. Eat up. Everything that's sold in the meat market, even if it was sacrificed to idols. Okay, Paul, I do, what? You just said, man, if you eat something, you're participating and you don't want to participate with demons. But now you're saying in the meat market, you can eat it, eat freely, eat whatever you want. If someone invites you and that food is sacrificed to idols, man, don't even ask them where it's from. Just eat it. You don't care what God has been sacrificed. Just, gods aren't really anything. Just eat it. Paul is addressing the people that have gone so far to tiptoe their way through life, worrying about where this food was from and, oh man, is this sin? Is this gonna lead me away from God? Is this, oh man, is there a demon in this chicken nugget? And they're so hyper-conscious that this might make them slip up or cause them to be impure and unclean, that they have forgotten the gospel. And so Paul's trying to correct their vision here. He's trying to correct, correct the vision, the skewed vision of living a religious life. One theologian writes this. These matters of Christian liberty, Christian freedom, to, to do as you please, are more important than is commonly believed. For when consciences once ensnare themselves, they enter a long and inextricable maze, not easy to get out of. And if a, man, if a man begins to doubt whether he may use a linen sheet or a shirt or a handkerchief or napkin, he will afterwards be uncertain about anything. For all those entangled in such doubts, wherever they turn, see offensive conscience everywhere present. A guy commenting on this quote from John Calvin wrote this, when a Christian chooses to make a biblically neutral act into something universally wrong, not just for himself, but for others, he steps into a slippery slope with no biblical constraints. See what Paul's trying to address here. That living a life through a religious lens, like, oh my gosh, where, where did this food, was a sacrifice? Oh, no, no. That I have to ensure that I am morally acceptable to God and Always making sure that I am following every little thing to the T to make sure that I am approved by him is a skewed vision for life. And it's just as lost as the other group. And it's just as skewed as a vision. Thinking, how can I live a religious life so that I will be saved is just as idolatrous as idol worship. It's just replacing the idol with your good works. Instead of worshiping a, a thing, you're now worshiping yourself and how you can save yourself. 
And this is a skewed vision of life that will lead you to a path of destruction and death, just like worshiping demons. And Paul looks at these two lenses, and he wants to give them a different way to see. He wants them to look differently through the lens of the gospel. And here's how I think he starts doing it in verse 28. You with me? All right, here we go. Let's see how Paul wants us to see differently in verse verse 28. Give us a new vision. Not reckless, not overly religious, something new. It says this, verse 28. But, so, don't participate. Don't grow close in association, but eat it if you want to. It's not that big of a deal. Verse 28, but if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, don't eat it. Okay, gosh, okay. So I can, don't eat it, but then I can eat it if I want to, but then don't eat it. What are you saying, Paul? And this is important. Look at why. Look at why he says not to eat it. Verse 28, out of consideration for the one who told you, And for the sake of conscience, I don't mean your conscience, your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? If I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? Here's what Paul is saying. When it comes to eating food, like, I'll just keep using Krishna lunch. It's not the perfect example, but I'm going to keep using it. Here's, Here's what he says. I think it's fine. And you may think it's fine, but if someone in your community genuinely might be troubled and concerned in their conscience that it might hurt you or them, here's what it says. You should not give up your convictions. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that you should change your convictions on whether it's right or wrong. It doesn't even say that you should try to make them change their convictions of why you think it's right. What does it call you to change? What does it call you to give up? It calls you to give up eating the food. You are to give up your own rights for the sake of someone else. This is countercultural. This is counter-American. As we think about, oh, these are my rights, How dare you tell me to lay down my rights for your sake? I don't give, uh, sorry, I don't give, I was going to say a rip, but then I was like, I should say something more appropriate, but then I couldn't think of anything. (laughs) I don't care if this food is sacrificed, I don't know. I can eat it. That's what we think we should say. It's nothing. I don't believe in the Krishna gods. I believe that Jesus is the one true God and way more powerful than those fake gods. That's what we think that we should should say as Americans. Like, no, no, this is my right in Christ to eat this. Why should I lay down my right for you? Paul is telling us to put on a new lens. Look at the lens through the gospel about forsaking your freedom for the sake of others. So let's talk about how we can apply this. Let's talk about masks and vaccines. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Everyone's like, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, let's, 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 put on, let's put on the lens of the gospel that, that Paul is encouraging us to do here and that forsakes our freedoms for others and let's begin to see life through it. Okay, here's, here's just three very quick things that I think Paul is showing us of what this looks like, how we can practically live out 
the vision of life through the gospel, okay? And I think he, he shows us what it is in verse 31. Look at verse 31. This is how we should live, if you want to know. So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God, just as I also try to please everyone in everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many so that they may be saved. In the last verse, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He's giving us a new lens, how to see the world. And I think this goes, guys, way past Krishna lunch. Like just, I think that's a lame argument to argue over. Just think about how we think through our life, looking through this lens. All right, number one, just three quick things, okay? Following Jesus means living in freedom for God's glory. This is the lens of the gospel already. Number one, following Jesus means living in freedom for God's glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus Christ came and obeyed the law to a T, fulfilled the law, righteously, perfect, obedient son of God. The fact that he died on a cross and absorbed the wrath that we all deserved because of our sin now makes us not under the law, but in Christ. And so we have now been free from the constraints of following the law, but now we follow Christ. And this means a lot of freedom for you in following Jesus in 2023. Whether it's Halloween candy or Harry Potter books, you need to look through. I have been given freedom in following Jesus, being approved by him only, by being approved by God only through the cross. Now I get to live for God's glory. And there is freedom in that. Man, Paul's language here, do you feel the light and easy burden that he is showing that is following Jesus? Come to me, all who are tired and weary, and I'll give you rest. My burden, following me, it's easy, it's light. Come, put my yoke upon you and follow me. Like, this is, this is easy. This is it's, it's difficult. It's simple, but it's difficult what we go through. But following Jesus, there is so much freedom and joy that we have living under this freedom of the gospel. So your decision to spend money to go on a trip with your family or your major or your next step or how you should interact in certain environments, whether you should go to the party that seems like, here's what I'm asking you to do. Understand that you have been redeemed by God, bought back, and now you are not your own, but you live for his glory. Look through that lens. Number two. Following Jesus means laying down your freedom for the sake of others. We talked about this briefly, like in verse 33, as he says, just as I try to please everyone and everything, not seeking my own benefit, but the benefit of many, so that they may be saved. Paul does not want to be a stumbling block to anyone experiencing the gospel. And so what does he do? He lays down his freedom, his rights, his preferences, for the sake of others, so that they might experience God. And this is what we are also called to do. Listen, your life is not your own. You are bought with a price. And now your life is lived for the glory of God, but it's also for the good of others, so that they might experience the freedom of Christ. And oftentimes that might look like putting your preferences aside. Number three, what does it look like to live through the lens? Following Jesus means looking to Jesus. This sounds super simple because it is. Paul says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Come follow me as I follow Jesus. He knew that living a life with a lens for God's glory looked like following someone. It wasn't random. It was the words and the life of Jesus Christ. And he modeled his life after that. He pursued that. Want to know what it looks like to live in freedom for God's glory? It looks like following Jesus. What is his words? And it looks like actually looking to the faithful saints who have been following Jesus a little bit more years than you have and asking them how to follow Jesus. Like I wish in my 20s, I would have like talked a little bit less and listened a little bit more. I would have, wish I would have looked at people like Frankie in our community and said, man, you've been following Jesus a long time. Man, how, what do you think about this? Instead of telling Frankie what I think about this, you know what I'm saying? You got a question, go talk to Frankie. Guys, is it possible that we have actually had a skewed vision? Maybe just living recklessly, just close association in our hearts, more than we even know, we're being conformed and informed by the world. Or maybe we've looked through like an over-religious lens where we have forgotten the gospel. Would we look at all situations, all problems in your life through this lens? Because they're going to deal with a lot of problems. And we see it, and we're called to live in the freedom of Christ for God's glory, forsaking our freedom for the sake of others. All right, but here's the, th here's the truth. As you walk out of here, like with this lens on, you're gonna notice the problems you face are not like food sacrifice to idols, okay? The problems we face as a church, I've never had a college student come up to me and be like, hey man, I really don't know what to do. My roommate, dude, he's eating food sacrifice to idols. And I don't know what to do. And then his roommate be like, I, dude, we need to talk. My roommate says I shouldn't eat food sacrifice. Uh, I'm free in Christ. What's the big deal? And they have this big division, okay? I don't think that's the problem of our church. But here's three just very quick things, very rapid things. And you're going to have to figure this out in your connection groups, actually, how to do this, okay? Three things that I want you to notice this week. So you probably won't notice issues of food sacrifice idols, but here's what I want you to notice. Number one, notice who is shaping you. Notice who's shaping you. Don't ask, can I? Maybe you should ask the questions that Paul asks. Is it beneficial? Does it build up? It made me think as I was reading this text and his encouragement to flee idolatry, is there anything I've grown comfortable with? Anything that I've just like grown really comfortable with Corinthian culture in my life? What I watch, what I look at, what I listen to, what I eat, what I say, what I wear, and guys, here's just, I want to bring it up. Not, I'm not saying this, Paul is, you know. I want to bring this up to you. you know, what are things in your life that look a lot more like the love of this city than the love of Christ, okay? I'm not really talking about burning Halloween candy, okay? Think about, is there anything in your life, like this week, that maybe in our Western mind that's like not as spiritual maybe, they were like, oh, we don't have a problem like thinking there's a God behind like Krishna food. Like we're, we don't really think that way. But is there anything that you're doing that might actually have more spiritual power than you think? That's leading you not to life, but to destruction. Like think about like Instagram. Like is it demon possessed? Well, I don't know. 
I don't think if you click on it, you're like, oh, demon inside me. Ah. But you cannot tell me that there are not dark spiritual forces at play when your heart begins to long just a little bit more. Little bit more money. If I just had a little bit more clothes, if I just looked a little bit more like them, little bit more skin, little bit more experiences. Maybe what's behind Instagram isn't that it wants your money and your time, but it wants your heart. I'm not talking about an app. I'm talking about very spiritual forces at plays that are just using an app. Here's what I'm just asking. Notice what's shaping you this week. I love how Jake Heron said this in our culture and Christianity. He's watching TV with his kids. It's not that he's like, oh, don't watch TV. But as a commercial comes up, he asks his kids, hey, guys, what's the lie behind this? Like, just go ahead, spot the lie. Because culture is trying to inform and conform you to the things that it loves. And so we have to expose it. We have to think about what is shaping us, what's trying to shape me, where's the lie. Number two, second thing you need to notice this week, notice the needs of others over than your own. Notice the needs of others over your own. Ask this, does it build them up? How are you serving others? How can I lay down my preferences for the sake of their spiritual growth? Your schedule your time, your energy, and maybe like your specific preference that's not actually like a true first-tier biblical conviction that you just lay down, that maybe you don't bring up in connection group this week because that's not what we're talking about. Maybe you just lay down your preference. Maybe it's you're fine going to that party and it doesn't bother you and you're not tempted, but your friend who just got saved out of that scene He's not okay. And maybe instead of just being like, all right, man, don't come with, maybe you stay with him in the dorm. Maybe you watch Toy Story or something. <laughs> Looking through life through the lens of the gospel looks not for my benefit, but theirs. Okay, number three thing, third thing you need to notice this week. Notice areas of potential division and seek unity. Notice areas that the enemy would love to divide our church and let us argue and bicker over little things like food to Krishna, Halloween candy, Halloween books. And instead of seeking division, would we seek unity? Christ said this in the Gospel of John. I want you to bear much fruit. My Father is glorified. He says this in John 15, and then I'll close. My Father is glorified in this, that you have produced much fruit and proved to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that your joy might be full. My joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. Verse 12, he says, and this is my command. Like, if you love me, if you want to abide in me, follow my commands. Here's my command. Verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. Laying my life down, creating unity where there was division, giving up my life and preferences and freedoms for your sake, creating unity where there was division. So this week, notice who is shaping you. Notice the needs of others over than your own and notice areas of potential division and seek unity. A unified church is a strong church. Why? Because of the gospel. We flee from idolatry Guys, not because we think we can run fast enough to avoid hell, okay? We can't. 
We are all sin. We have all sinned and therefore are separated from God eternally. We cannot outrun idols in our way to heaven. But here is the gospel. Jesus Christ came running after you. He noticed you in your sin, in your shame, in your inability to create unity with the Father, to be approved by him. And he came and lived a life that you could not live. And he died in your place, a death that he did not deserve so that you might have life. This is the lens of the gospel. This is what we worship. We worship Jesus who gave his life up for us so that we might have union with the Father and be present with the Father now and in eternity. And we also model his life by giving our lives up for others. Okay, let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, you have given us identity as sons and daughters. By grace, we have been saved through faith. It is not of our own works so that none of us can both. The gospel is good news. Good news of a God who had grace and mercy on people who didn't deserve it, like me. Father, thank you for giving up your freedom. Jesus, you deserved worship and you got whipped. Jesus, you deserved a throne and you took up a cross. But we know three days later, you defeated death and the grave and now you are reigning victoriously on the throne. Jesus, would we see your life of glorifying the Father and would we glorify you, Jesus? Would we worship you as king? Would we run from idols in our life? Would we run to you to give you worship with our songs, with our life, with our eyes, with everything, Jesus? We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.